Hey, welcome to Media Roots Radio. After the finalization of the Mueller report on Russian collusion with the Trump administration, Abby and I decided to take you guys on a trip down memory lane. When we first started noticing this anti-Russian hysteria campaign building in the United States, and the clip that we're going to open this episode with is a little montage of different clips, we just sort of wanted to remind you guys that we've been covering this uh, long before it was even called Russiagate, and we sort of felt alone in covering it. We were so confused and just so alarmed by the um, lack of coverage on that particular issue that you, you can really hear the frustration in our voices. And no, this isn't going to be one of those bullshit clips episodes or best of episodes. 90% of this is going to be new commentary from Abby and I discussing the conclusions of the Mueller investigation and what that means and where this is going to go from here. I hope you enjoyed this little montage to open up the episode. Starting with our sort of our shock and confusion at why when the Sochi Olympics, Winter Olympics happened in 2014, why the U.S. media here just seemed to constantly shit on it in a way that we had never seen before with other countries' Olympics. February 26th, 2014. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the Sochi hype because I've never seen... I mean, I... I don't. I guess I don't remember when the Olympics were in China. Um, I don't remember the media like honing in on like organ harvesting and like the execution of like Falun Gong prisoners and like labor camps of Falun Gong practitioners and stuff like that. It's clearly disproportional. Oh, and it was even it was interesting to me too, the way that they kept comparing Putin to Hitler on the radio. Like I was what? listening mostly to the radio, and they were like. Nobody has seen this much like direct involvement, you know, investment from like a, a country's leader before into like the pride of the Olympics since Hitler's, you know, in, like 1936 Olympics wow. in Berlin. That was sort of like one angle of it. The hotel conditions were another angle of it. The gay law thing that Obama sent up a bunch of gay like Olympians for the Olympic Committee. And then the toothpaste. Like, oh, my terrorism God. They hype. wanted they a terrorist terrorism. attack so bad, Robbie. Yeah. They're like bummed. They're probably, like, crying that a terrorist attack hasn't happened in Sochi. Like, they have wanted that shit so hard. Yeah. Like, I've never seen a media more, like, like hoping that just something will happen to fuck it up. You know, so they could just be right. It's just like, my God. Like, for, And so, the last two weeks, even during the Olympics, I just saw a couple days ago, now they're talking about how shoe bombs could possibly be going in. Oh and showing God. shoes exploding and stuff. Like, Wow. Like, this is what the media is so putting their resources into? It just seems totally orchestrated. Like once, you know, it could just be a pylon type of situation once this anti-Sochi stuff started, but it just seems way more coordinated than that to me. Yeah, just the fact that they like have, yeah, videos on the news of like shoes blowing up and shit. And then how weird is it too that all these like big corporations were starting to do like the rainbow flag Olympic logo, like Google. the Google homepage. And that's very interesting. You know, I've never seen them do anything like take a political stance like that on anything before you know like something that would be like remotely controversial like that so that was fascinating may 2nd 2014 yeah it's designed to redirect our focus away from complaining about problems here at home to an easy scapegoat like russia 
I mean, and Russia is an easy scapegoat. You know, we've, yeah. we were in a cold war with them for so long. It's almost like borderline reflexive the way that we could just like easily just go back into that mindset. Well, it's also really foreign. As a society. There was this poll done that polled Americans about Ukraine. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but it was actually really scary um, because the more people didn't have any idea where Ukraine was, the more they wanted the U.S. to invade. And people even thought Ukraine was like in the U.S. and in the Jesus ocean. Christ. And so it was really interesting to think of like people who don't know where it is are that much more apt to like support military intervention, which shows you that maybe if they knew that like Ukraine was right on the border of Russia, you know, maybe they would think like, oh, wait, May 1st, 2015, you know, on the one hand, they talk about this, this scary, terrifying Russian uh, form of propaganda, which is somehow supposed to threaten us. I don't get that. I mean, it certainly is real in Russia, but the idea that it threatens us is, is just fucking horseshit. In any event. Um, well, they conflate the two things together. They conflate exactly. the domestic propaganda in Russia with like things like Russia Today, which are really totally different kind it of mechanisms. It is in the sense that what Russia Today's success is exploiting the fact that our established you know, media and government have lied and been caught lying on exactly. such huge things. February 1st, 2016. So let's say if you're in like a room full of people who knew all about Abu Ghraib and all the torture mm -hmm. stuff and you're like, hey guys, like the U.S. is doing some really fucked up shit. We're like renditioning all these people. We're, you know, we're torturing them. We're, we have Gitmo, you know, like we really got to like do something about this. Like this is really bad. And someone just in the back of the room said, hey, uh, you know, the U.S. is uh, is bad, but uh, so is Russia. Everybody yeah. be like, what are you talking about? What does that, <laughs> what does that do with anything? Or what is going on? I mean, that's literally how weird it is that we're sitting here talking about Russia constantly right. as a means right. to cover up our own crimes and corruption. Welcome to Media Roots Radio, everyone. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks for joining us, guys. Um, on the last podcast, uh, we discussed the Christchurch massacre in New Zealand, and uh, we got some feedback about that from some New Zealanders and Australians who said that, you know, we didn't talk about the prime minister, uh, Jacinda Ardern, and I'm probably pronouncing her name incorrectly, but her reaction to the massacre in it, before we get into the Russiagate revelations and the Mueller report um, coming to a conclusion, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Prime Minister of New Zealand for her response to the massacre, because I think that's something that every politician should take um, to heart. She basically said she's never going to mention the guy's name who committed the massacre, um, all of the press in New Zealand didn't even show the guy's face. It was blurred out and no one glorified him. Unlike U.S. news and corporate media who will just ad nauseum show the person's face, you know, talk about the person instead of the victims um, of these, these horrific crimes. So I just really appreciated what she did. She also, you know, wore hijab. She went directly to the Muslim community and was just very respectful. And you saw a lot of news anchors also wearing hijab out of solidarity, a lot of them were speaking Arabic out of solidarity with the victims. It was just a completely topsy-turvy world than you see the U.S. react to these kind of things, which are becoming far too common in America. So just wanted to uh, mention that before we continue. Yeah, that was really great to see. 
it's pretty disgusting to see the press or at least some of the press i think it was the uk press calling him like a golden boy who was like bullied in school and that's why he turned into a <laughs> serial mass murder i mean just really gross shit so i was glad to see that right well let's get into the news of the the century here after two full years of mainstream media um democratic politicians liberal hacks obsessively covering russian collusion with trump um, basically talking about this as if Trump is going to leave the White House in handcuffs at any given time. Um, this is how the narrative has been painted for us since Trump won. Um, this is a 22-month long investigation, I think, um, committed by Robert Mueller. He had full subpoena power, and he issued over the course of this almost two-year investigation 38 indictments, many of which were just symbolic indictments against the alleged GRU hackers or whatever. I mean, I'd say about half of them were for these alleged GRU hackers and the other half were for the IRA Russian trolls. And oh, right, with some right. with some other random stuff thrown in there like the Maria Butina alleged spy connection and the NRA Which thing. was also some random disgrace. shit sprinkled in there just for good measure. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and so you know, the Mueller report, I guess, officially hasn't come out yet. So people are like, hold on, we should wait until the report comes out. But I think it's pretty safe to say, per Attorney General William Barr, who's worked closely with Mueller this entire time, they both served in the Bush White House. He summarized Mueller's conclusions in a letter to Congress. And this is the only line that you really need to know. Quote, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. So from the very beginning, Trump has been saying that this is a witch hunt and that there was, quote, no collusion. And he was right. There was no collusion, as we've known all along, Robbie, and that this pretty much was a witch hunt because there was no collusion. And this was just kind of a desperate measure on behalf of the Democratic Party establishment to absolve themselves from responsibility and to absolve Hillary from responsibility for losing to a reality star billionaire. And none of this should come as a surprise to anybody who's been tracking this from even before the Mueller investigation actually got started. Because if they had something the equivalent of a smoking gun or something that would be convincing proof of even in the original allegation that Russia hacked the DNC and those emails were passed to WikiLeaks and that Trump's people were somehow coordinating with that whole operation. If they had proof of that, that would have come out, you know, if they had anything that would have been convincing, that would have come out years ago. And we were waiting, I mean, even two years ago. And later in this broadcast, I'm going to play clips of us from podcasts going back to 2014 but we were waiting in like 2016 um, for that, you know, for any evidence. And that came in the form of that ridiculous DNI report that really essentially said nothing. And then these following indictments, you know, one of them specifically focused on hacking, but it still didn't really paint a clear roadmap about how they can prove this. And even, I mean, especially the part where WikiLeaks was knowingly working with the Russian government. It's, it's interesting how they really didn't really even try very hard to prove that. And this Roger Stone connection that everyone's been hyping up for the last couple of years, what did that amount to? I never saw any evidence that Roger Stone had a direct line to WikiLeaks and was actually getting inside information. It seemed to me like he had the same information other people were being given or just being hinted at. 
and and as many problems as I had with WikiLeaks and the way that they were promoting right wing figures and outlets, that never really seemed completely convincing to me. It was some of the other things where like WikiLeaks was talking to John Jr about like releasing those tax returns that actually bothered me more. But yeah, that never really seemed convincing to me. About that Roger Stone, yeah. Guccifer 2, WikiLeaks nexus that apparently this all hinged on. Right, right. I mean, I think when the DNI report came out, we were all kind of waiting to see what was going to be in it because this was the alleged definitive proof of Russian interference to, to get us Donald Trump. Um comprised by 17 intelligence agencies. So it was pretty shocking to not only see that it was just kind of a crude analysis about RT programming, but that my previous show, Breaking the Set, was included in the report as part of the Russian interference operation. Um, It cited Breaking the Set and this other show, Truth Seeker, as two very critical programs who you know, we're fomenting radical discontent. That was actually the quote used in the in the report. Yeah. And mind you, this show ended two years prior to the 2016 election. And I know that we've belabored this point um, often on the show, but I mean, nothing in Breaking the Set praised Putin, talked about Russia in a favorable light. I mean, instead it was just covering issues like Occupy Wall Street, yeah, poverty in the country, fracking. So as we kind of realized then, Robbie, that um, to just simply point out how America's bad, you know, how, yeah. uh, how America is not this beacon of democracy around the world. That was the real threat to the U.S. establishment. And, and that was what they claimed um, cost Hillary the election was simply shining a light on issues that exist and that Russian media was filling the void and covering because the corporate media was failing to do its job. Let's take us back to that time period. You know, this is, I guess, two years ago now. Uh, mm-hmm. over two years ago, where this was what we thought was the proof that was going to be shown to us to prove all this l- long before the Mueller investigation started. So let's just play this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This uh, It's about a minute long. Just talking about how insane the report is and how it's just completely anecdotal, weird things that actually would appeal and apply to like democracy now, the Young Turks, you know, fracking, calling out the two-party system. All of these things are things that I think a lot of progressives can agree upon. So it's quite odd that they're pointing at very generic things that, you know, are kind of commonplace um, criticisms of the U.S. government and its system. <laughs> well, they're, they're basically, they're being as vague as possible because they're trying to make the very weak case. The case they're making is very weak because of what they show as evidence that somehow Russia using RT and other means has like undermined Americans' confidence in their own country and their own system, like as like a, camp- like a campaign to propagandize yeah. the American public. But they're not making that case very strongly. The examples they're using are poor. They're not timely. They're Like you're saying, they're from 2012. Um, they're about issues that RT talked about a lot that had nothing to do with the election cycle, that had nothing to do with Hillary Clinton or Trump. You know, if anything, they were just critical of Obama, and they're not even really making that case. So that's us from January 2017 discussing the DNI report. And there are other parts of the broadcast where we're just completely confused about why this was the report they decided to release. <laughs> because it, it makes a very, very weak, weak case. Um, and let me see if I could just find our reaction to just how our shock... It, the more paranoid part of me actually thinks this is 
on purpose like a punt. <laughs> like it's not, they're not trying to make a very strong case. I don't know why they wouldn't be trying to. Or are they this, this that seem, dumb? But how is that possible? <laughs> you would, I mean, no, think about it for a second. Like you would, we have one of the best intelligence agencies in the world, if not the best. And this is the best thing they can come up with. Like right before, if they're trying to delegitimize Trump or trying to like embarrass Trump or whatever, this is like not a very good attempt. So, I mean, that was our initial reaction to just how weird it was that that was the culmination of all this hype that we had been hearing about, about the 17 intelligence agencies all agree that Russia tried to interfere in our election. And it was mostly a report about 2012 that quoted your breaking the set uh, reports from around that time period. And we were just blown away that that was according to all. And it wasn't just the government released this and just put it out there. It was like the neoliberal establishment, the mainstream media all ran with it. And we're like, this is the proof. This is it. This is a slam dunk. That's, I think that was the most surprising part to me. And maybe it shouldn't have been surprising considering what we know the corporate media does on a daily basis to sell these kind of narratives. But I was alarmed because when the report came out, I thought, oh, well, everyone's going to see how bad this is and just be, you know, as confused as we are and say, hold on, this is just kind of this weird analysis about RT that's like super old, thrown together. It seemed like yeah. just in a couple yeah. days by some like intern at, at FPI. Um, but no, that's not what happened. The corporate media took it and ran with it. The New York Times said it was damning, surprisingly detailed, while at the same time adding that it contained no actual evidence of Russian interference. And I think at that point, when we realized that this was the definitive DNI report and that it was just about my show and other RT programming, that's when we realized that this had no legs and that um, it was a house of cards. And that's why it was so surprising that just subsequently in the months that followed, it just kept getting stacked on nothing. Yeah. Like if this was the premise to keep building on something that was fake and was not substantial whatsoever was just so perplexing. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I mean, maybe because people were just so invested, like with their hearts and souls to like deny that Trump was legitimately one or something. They just had so. to convince themselves because it was always as clear as day to us. And I don't know if it's just because I worked at RT and we kind of saw before the DNI report. I mean, we can go back to the fact that you were on the cusp. I was on the cusp of talking about just Russia phobia, um, talking about the new Cold War that was being instigated before Russiagate was even a thing. Yeah, I mean that that's that's one of the things I, I, I pulled a bunch of clips of us from two thousand fourteen to two thousand early two thousand sixteen talking about this building anti Russia hysteria campaign. And what's interesting is it wasn't until I, I, I found this on our podcast, it wasn't until around May 4th, 2016, that, that, from that date of our podcast, that the Trump Manchurian candidate narrative started to be put out there. And this was actually before, Abby, the DNC hack thing even became like a major news story. So that's what's interesting is before the Democrats even latched onto this idea that Trump was somehow coordinating with these hacks or whatever... Um, it's already started as Trump is a Russian Manchurian candidate by either by a combination of Putin and Russian oligarchs or 
just Putin. I thought we should maybe play that clip just to see what it was like to feeling or just perceiving all this culminating to this point. Because yeah, in 2016, I mean, this was all, I think this was even before the Podesta emails came out, long before, maybe even before the DNC emails came out. So let's check out this clip of us reacting to that idea that Trump is a Russian Manchurian candidate in May 4th, <laughs> 2016. Here oh, we go. Oh, Christ. And it just gets so ridiculous how conspiratorial certain neocons are, the same neocons who criticize yeah. conspiracy yeah, and theorists like the, on the left. And it's like you could say the same thing about RT and be like, yeah, you guys are all obsessed with America. It's like, I'm American. Why are you guys super obsessed with Russia? That's a question that I would actually yeah. like to know. Like, I'm Ameri- I can explain why I'm obsessed with this country because I actually, it's the empire. I want to change it. It's killing a ton of people every day. Why are you obsessed with Russia? Why? Because they're patriotic and they know weird. that if they fucking manipulate the public into being scared of Russia, <laughs> then they'll Super fucking be weird. more patriotic too. Jamie Kirchick just wrote an article um, called Donald oh, Trump's Russia, again. Russian Connections. Good. I thought he was fired. I didn't see him <laughs> pop up in a while. And the, the message of the article is basically that the reason Donald Trump is doing so well in this country is because he's actually a Russian Manchurian oh, candidate. Great. And that uh, his rise is due to all these secret oligarchs and, and like Russian, you know, like power brokers who are like making him rise to power. Okay, Jamie actually needs and this help. Is, <laughs> that, that's actually yeah. psychotic. This is coming off Holy of the heels damn. two weeks earlier. Max Boot and Jamie Kerchick and all these neocons were all retweeting this story about how uh, like all of Trump's uh, followers on Twitter and like Twitter retweeters were all Russian sock puppet accounts. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically saying that like Trump is like a like a coup d'etat like ru- wow. like Russia is like So Trump is fuck with so us. Jamie Kirchner saying Trump is a false flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I guess that was our first uh indoctrination into learning about the early stages of that narrative, which is kind of interesting to hear us talk about that now because we were already I guess that we were already learning that the neocons were trying to say that these hashtags to promote Trump or Russian bots, even as far as May 2016. It's crazy. It is interesting. Sorry for interrupting you so much during that broadcast, but (laughs) it is interesting to hear that Jamie Kerchick was sowing the seeds for that well before the Russia gate narrative came to light, isn't it? Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. And it, it again brings us back to the idea that the neocons, not the liberals, not Hillary's campaign, the neocons, the actual literal neocons in D.C. were the ones at the tip of the spear, the canary in the coal mines for this propaganda operation. I mean, even if we want to talk about the Steele dossier, which is something that Don Jr. and even Trump love to talk about all the time now, and they all and interestingly, this is to me what's most fascinating is they always take the Steele dossier only back to Hillary Clinton and John McCain, but. When you actually look at the history of Fusion GPS and who originally hired them, uh, the group that was responsible for the the Steele dossier, they were originally hired to do Trump opposition research, not for the DNC, not for Hillary's campaign, but by the Washington Free Beacon and a supposedly independently run neoconservative outlet. This is important because it means that the neocons, along with a lot of Republican establishment people, we're trying to figure out a way to take down Trump even before this Russia, the DNC got hacked thing. So I think that's another example that we just pulled up 
of how the neocons were the ones originally pushing this narrative before the liberals ended up picking it up. So it is it is quite odd. And then, of course, Alliance for Securing Democracy comes out two years later, which is essentially a Russian bot tracker. So they were already planning. I mean, this is probably already in the works for years before they actually launched that think tank. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest revolution that came out of this entire investigation was the fact that Donald Trump paid off a porn star potentially yeah. violating campaign finance laws, um, which I actually never understood why that didn't end up violating campaign finance laws. Like I thought that that that's what they were going to take him down on. You know, I was like, well, it's not collusion, but at least they found this kind of wrongdoing. And, and in fact, nothing happened with that. Um, and I thought that was strange. But yeah. one other thing that we, that came out of this whole thing was that, you know, it wasn't necessarily Russian collusion, but they used that the Trump team met with Russian officials at the behest of Israel as part of that narrative. And so there was Israeli collusion and there continues to be Israeli collusion, but of course no one discusses Israel as a foreign nation. Um, instead, just a bunch of Christian Zionists have to like pledge dual loyalty to Israel. But I mean, if you're, if you're going to talk about collusion, it's just so much more of a cut and dry case. And it was just weird that that was obfuscated, that like the meeting with the Russian officials was to try to convince other members of the National Security Council to vote on Israel's behalf. Yeah, and there was that other weird apparent meeting at Trump Tower where some Russian, a supposed Russian agent was trying to get the Trump administration to like remove the Magnitsky Act or something. Right. So that so they can bring back a, the ability to adopt Russian children which was something that Russia put a stop to, I don't know, sometime in the last five years. Whatever came of that, is that even really broken down in the Mueller indictment so far? I don't think it was. It just mostly came out in the form of media leaks and hype. And look, just for the record, I wouldn't put anything past the Trump administration. I think that the Trump administration is super sloppy, super crazy. So if Don Jr. was going to meet with some Russian official... Um, to discuss and plan some kind of removing of sanctions, I wouldn't. That wouldn't surprise me at all, actually. But the thing is, I, we haven't really seen any of this being proven and really broken down. And on top of that, if that's the kernel of truth in this whole thing, and that's the smoking gun, it it's really shows how ridiculous it is. Because the whole original charge was that this was a the Trump campaign itself and people from it were colluding with the Russian government to throw the election. That's the overall charge. And if that was true, we would have already seen proof of that. That's the thing. That's right. the thing I keep going right. back to. You and I knew that when this Mueller investigation wrapped up, there wasn't going to be any proof of that by the other end because it would have already leaked long ago. They would have already mm -hmm. tried their biggest volley years ago when it mattered the most. So I don't really understand what the purpose of this was at the end of the day. It's, it's odd. I mean, was it to rehabilitate the intelligence class? I mean, Peter Dale Scott was sort of speculating that, you know, that our corrupt intelligence class and our government had just gotten so tarnished that maybe that's part of why they're doing it is because they want to seem like they're morally superior to Trump. Like, you should trust us the next time around because we won't let this kind of thing happen again. You know, someone this crazy. I mean, I, yeah, there's been that theory that it's that it was done to rehabilitate the intelligence community. I I just think that there were warring factions within the establishment. And I think that Trump wasn't really at odds with the 
quote unquote deep state or the intelligence community. He continued NSA spying. He's continuing all of the worst possible things mm-hmm. um, that the intelligence committee is committing um, criminally around the world. So I think that just him being at odds with like certain figures within the establishment just doesn't mean anything. They didn't like Trump. They thought that he was a wild card. And so you saw certain figures trying to out him because they thought that he kind of embarrassed the sanctity of the position. And that's really what it comes down to. I think that, uh, again, it was Hillary's turn. And so anything that they could have done to prove that it was her legitimate turn and that Trump won um, with the help of Russia. But again, like the fact that we already knew about the troll farms and the Russian ads, like we knew from the beginning that that's all they had, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of this other stuff constructed around that was just hot air. Um, and it's just kind of embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the people who focused on this every single day. It's embarrassing for Rachel Maddow. It's embarrassing for everyone. And, and everyone across the board, and I'm including right-wing media as well, because we know that Fox News, The Federalist, Daily Caller, Gateway Pundit, none of these publications would have been doing critical thinking or fair reporting about the Russia gate narrative if it wasn't all hyper-partisan, knee-jerkery nonsense. Of and course. If it, was, if it was a Democrat in office, um, yeah, I really doubt that we would have seen any you know, lucid like analysis from any of these publications. So it's embarrassing to see that the the kind of the hyper partisanship for them and being given accolades like, Oh, they got it right. Yeah. Like why don't we give accolades? Yeah. Why don't we give accolades to actually the left progressive grassroots publications that never took the bait that were always criticizing this um, as well as criticizing Trump's policies. I hope a lot of these same people who have spent the last few years doing nothing but knee-jerking against the Russiagate propaganda will actually see this as a larger, you know, part of a larger thing. Because that's how we always saw it, that this idea of trumping a Manchurian candidate or colluding with Russia is part of a much larger propaganda campaign that seems to culminate with essentially the censorship of the internet. We originally feared this was going to result in some kind of horrific military move, potentially a World War III-like scenario, it seems like now the biggest danger is this is going to censor the internet. And it's really bizarre because a lot of those same right-wing outlets that were debunking Russiagate are the same ones trying to make it seem like the censorship of the internet is all partisan and that these Silicon Valley companies are only targeting conservatives because they're liberals and they don't like conservatives. And it's just garbage. It frankly does make me sick to see people like Glenn Greenwald praising the Federalist and the Daily Caller when both of those outlets kept things in a very partisan, manipulative lens about Russiagate. It's not like just because they were debunking Russiagate, they were telling the truth. They were also hiding the fact that the Washington Free Beacon was originally who hired Fusion GPS. They were lying about the fact that Comey and Strozik are the deep state. I mean, these idiots are the same motherfucking dumbasses who put out this false narrative that a handful of Democrats who are behind this FBI probe are the deep state. So it just makes me sick to see that kind of narrative being propped up because that is a manipulative partisan prism that's being propped up. I mean, it's, it's just as dumb as Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity said a lot of true stuff about Russiagate, but he did it inside of a manipulative partisan lens to prop up Trump. First of all, this blows the lid off of the whole deep state 
um, narrative, right? That the deep state was trying to oust Trump, that this was like some secret coup. Well, I guess the deep state isn't that strong. Yes, the deep state's super fucking weak, dude, because nothing happened, nothing came of it. I see many people giving credit to right-wing media for getting it right. Actually, tons of grassroots progressive funded outlets like Real News Network, Counterpunch, The Nation, Project Censored, Our Show, Empire Files, and many, many others did get this right from the get-go. We've been talking about this in the context of the broader picture, in the context of the goalpost keeps shifting, and it just became largely about censorship on the internet as a whole, purging of anti-establishment voices. We never had the partisan lens that these right-wing outlets did. This all came from a knee-jerk partisan garbage position that defaults to just defend their candidate or their team. There was never clear, good, or deep analysis that went along with calling Russiagate a witch hunt other than to absolve the crimes and character of Trump. Let's praise Fox News, right? Because they just reacted knee-jerkily to defend the president from the liberal media obsession too. So let's praise Fox. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like saying that that MSNBC got it right on Benghazi or something. It's like, that's not, they don't deserve any credit for that. Of course, they're going to defend Obama to whatever the fuck scandals hit him. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's just, it is absolutely stupid. It's interesting that, you know, people are even shitting on real news now for not being strong enough on Russiagate. Well, I re- I'm sorry, but I remember Paul Jay talking about this years before anyone else was and actually putting out really important information about this creeping Cold War 2.0 mentality as far back as 2014. So, I'm sorry, that to me is more important because by the time it got to the Trump Russiagate thing, it was already like, you know, we're already like four years into a propaganda campaign by that point. I really have a lot of respect for Paul Jay, and I think Real News has always gotten it right. Um, And what Paul Jay always said about the Russiagate collusion narrative is that we don't know for sure, he said, but the thing that he always said about it was that the attention paid to the story was wildly disproportionate. And I couldn't agree more with him. Um, I think that we we had a pretty good idea that it, there was no collusion. This is his point. He said, even if it was true that Russia did this, how big of a story is it? Exactly. Yeah, and I think even Katrina, Katrina Vanderhoevel said the same thing. And she, I mean, she was like her and her husband, Stephen Cohen, were two of the earliest people really pushing back against this years before Russiagate started as well. And I don't see them getting very much credit. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Robert Perry... You know, even people like um, Mark Ames and Yasha Levine, they're not going to be mentioned in this Glenn Greenwald hype, you know, hoisting Glenn Greenwald up as this hero who stood up against Russiagate narrative, because guess what? Mark Ames actually exposed The Intercept for Piero Midiar for funding the Ukrainian uprising in 2014. It's just interesting that, that sort of Greenwald can omit that from the record or that his fans can. But in reality, people like Mark Ames were providing some of the most important context about all this anti-Russian hysteria super early. And I think they deserve most of the credit, people like them. Of course, the people who get most of the credit are the people who came into this much later. That's that's kind of part of the course, you know, that happens a lot. But it's interesting to me that this all, all the air got sucked into Russiagate when we know that this is something much larger. And also back to the, your point about the right-wing media, what did the right-wing media mainly do in their Russiagate debunking? They tried to spin it against Hillary Clinton and act like the uranium ore scandal 
was right. the biggest thing on the fucking planet for like a year. I mean, honestly, that was like the stupidest talking point ever. It, there is some weird partisan spin shit going on with that. I don't. I frankly don't think any of that analysis can be trusted. There was maybe a couple of right wing people who tried to do their own investigations on CrowdStrike, and I remember reading those. CrowdStrike is the private security firm that was um, sort of allegedly proved that Russia hacked the DNC. I saw some interesting investigations on that. There was very little of that going on. So to me, 95% of the stuff coming out of the right-wing media about Russiagate and trying to debunking it, I mean, was garbage, frankly. It, it narrowed the focus very deliberately to make it seem like this was a Democrat plot, deep state plot to unseat Trump. That's not the picture that I see. I see a much broader picture that if you go back to even before the Republican convention, the Republican establishment and the neocons are trying to figure out a way to unseat Trump. They just joined forces with the Democrats because the Democrats, of course, they were going to try to figure out a way to destroy Trump. I mean, it's it's very easy to see that in retrospect. But the, what the Republicans have done now is they've built this fake consensus where they act like they're all on board with Trump now, which is new which is relatively new, they want to retroactively rewrite history and make it seem like they're all for Trump the whole time. Totally false. This is a false narrative. It's only actually relatively recently that the Republicans are all lockstep again. We all kind of thought it was going to be the end of the Republican Party from the way Trump kind of right. ran in there and fucked everything up. But I mean, the Russiagate thing, I don't think that it's going to you know, leave the media in, in an embarrassment. I don't think that there's going to be some mea culpa or any accountability whatsoever because it has been broadened so much. The Russia gate in general, you can't like debunk even though there's no collusion because it's morphed into something so much bigger than just collusion. It's like, it can mean anything. It can just yeah. mean RT's existence yeah. in general. Well, no, I mean, it, it, and I think that the DNI report that's what brought it home to us is this is going to be actually much broader and much more insidious than just them trying to say that Donald Trump's campaign coordinated with Russia to hack the election. Like we knew instantly right. when we saw it, this was going to be way broader and was going to try to chip away or erode at any alternative media. I mean, the fact that they mentioned fracking and stuff in that report was as clear as day. Like you said, Democracy Now!, the Young Turks, they talk about fracking. So, I mean, basically, they want to make a discussion about fracking seem like it's totally fringe. That's really the goal. I don't know. Do you want me to play some, some more clips of just sort of our reaction to, like, what some of these original allegations were? Sure. So here's one of you reacting to, even before they tried to tie Trump's campaign to the actual hacking, this is with the story. I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but here's you reacting to it, which I thought was quite funny. Now we're so afraid somehow that Trump is, is that here and that he's been put up to it by Putin. Like, are you kidding me? We've really gone that far? Yeah. Like, we're, it's almost like we're scared of our own tactics now or something. And then it's even better because the whole last 24 hours straight, including this morning when I turned on the TV, is that um, Trump is actually now calling Putin to hack. You heard that one now, right? Trump made a joke, very obviously, extremely oh, yeah. blatantly, um, saying, yeah, I've never really talked to Putin. He was like, this is completely unfounded. He was like, but yeah, he's like, Putin, maybe you should uh, get those deleted emails, like making a joke. And well, now this has no, been like, Trump is encouraging Russian cyber terrorism. And it's, <laughs> and it's funny because you'll see totally lockstep, the neocons and the Democrats both saying things like this. It's insane. 
this clip I just played is from July 30th, 2016. So we're already picking up on the fact that the neocons are pushing this and then the Democrats are echoing it. And that this was one of the original explosive reports that was passed around that, oh, Trump is actually working with Russia because he told them in a speech to hack Hillary. So if these are the origins of some of these allegations, it really reveals how bullshit they are. The whole thing about the DNI report is like we knew right when the DNI report came out that there was no collusion and that there was no evidence because of how far reaching the report was um, and what they were basing it on. So I guess from that point forward, we knew that it was a farce. Um, so it, it is weird to see people holding out hope, I guess, for the Mueller investigation, because like you said, we would have known if there was something to hold on to. Yeah. And a lot of these, a lot of these original allegations came out in the form of very hyperbolic like overreaching news stories from the very beginning. I mean, the thing about him being a Manchurian candidate of Russian oligarchs seemed like a huge overreach. The idea that he was encouraging hacking seemed like an overreach, but yet these, this was the foundation for what became the, the narrative ultimately. Right. And I mean, you have the New York Times saying everything from he had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence to the Wall Street Journal saying the spy agencies were withholding intelligence from the president out of fear he was compromised. Yeah. Crazy shit like this. You know, CNN saying that Trump officials had been in constant contact with Russians known to U.S. intelligence. Like, what does all that mean? You had the former director of the CIA who helped kickstart the investigation that led to the Mueller probe saying Trump was guilty of, quote, high crimes and misdemeanors, committing acts, quote, nothing short of treasonous. Yeah. It was just insane. Hillary Clinton saying that the Russians could not have known to weaponize political ads unless they were guided. Like, really, Russians are that dumb that they don't understand that putting an ad of a swole Bernie Sanders? I mean, that's not sad. Like, that's not particularly savvy. But somehow they needed direction from Donald Trump in order to plant those ads. Yeah, super, super bizarre. Well, all of this has been a huge gift to Trump. Um, There was just a poll done by Suffolk University that showed that over 50% of Americans agree with Trump that the probe was a witch hunt. So I think that this has been a huge failure on behalf of the establishment, even though, you know, it's hard to argue that there was no, quote, like interference or whatever, because it's been so broadened and generalized to include everything. Mm -hmm. But um, it's done such an inordinate amount of damage that you really are gifting Trump with the biggest campaign grift he can ever get. And I actually think he might win again now. No, Like I thought that he was going to win again before. And and then when Bernie Sanders got in the race, I was like, okay, Bernie's going to win. But now I actually think Trump might win because of this gift. Absolutely. I think you're totally right. And just think of how long this has been going on and how much air, air space this has right. sucked up. I mean, just for an example of how intense this has been for so long. I mean, it's gone in waves, like it's gone up and down. Mm-hmm. But just another example. I mean, on the same broadcast, Abby, July 30th, 2016, this is us reacting to how the Trump Manchurian candidate claim evolved. So this is only three months after the original story broke in May 2016. And this is just us reacting to what, what it had become in three months in, in July 2016. Here's the clip. Get ready. It's, Get ready for months of this. Really and then on top of all this, going back to the Trump is a Russian plant thing, 
politics of fear, I mean, then you're injecting that into there. It's like politics of hysteria, really, at that point. Right. Like, we're in a hysterical fucking state if we're actually seriously thinking that Trump is a Russian Manchurian candidate. <laughs> that's what they're saying. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I can't believe that's, that's where we're have, at, dude. Abby. That's all I have, dude. And that's the Democratic Party putting that out. <laughs> that's not the Republicans. Yeah, it's like they should, well, they should have at least, like, just fed what it to the, the media instead of saying that that was their official line because that, that looks real bad. But everyone's but buying it. the sad it. thing is, everyone's Abby, buying people it. are buying yeah. it. Why am I walking through, like, a giant corridor? <laughs> like, heels on... <laughs> It's it just funny to hear us like so in disbelief that this was the narrative the DNC was going with at that time. Because at, at that and, time, yeah. Hillary's campaign, which we talk about a little later in the clip, we talk about how she was already running commercials showing Putin and Trump. And and she already made a video. Did you already see the campaign video she put out comparing Trump to Putin? Yeah, super McCarthyite shit. Yeah. I think we were saying that on the last, maybe the last podcast, that that's going to be something she might do or something, or I don't even remember, but it's just, it, I just don't understand where it's going to go from here. Right. In, in July wow. of 2016. I mean, that's incredible that that's how much they were it, leaning into that narrative around that time. It makes me so sad to hear us speculate, get ready for months of this, not realizing that we really were going to experience years. Oh my of God. It. Yeah. Really, really creepy to see all these people not only saying that there's nothing in the leaks, don't look at them, don't worry about them. They're also saying that it's Russian. It's oh my Putin god, dude! It. It's it's a it's a Russian coup. I thought when we when Abby. we were talking about this at first, we thought that it was like you know, oh how ridiculous. Of course, they're going to blame Russia, Vice, Buzzfeed. But then we didn't real. I didn't realize that that the no, campaign dude. was going to do it. It's off. It is everywhere, and it's not people on the right wing. It's it's the most embarrassing thing I've seen happen to the left and the democratic mm. like side of politics in this country in a very very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot think of the last time I was this embarrassed. Yeah, it was funny when they didn't when they refused to cover the leak, and then when they were forced to, it just immediately started talking about Putin. I was like, wow, that was fast. That was a fast turnaround. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it was like, okay, good, they're finally covering it. Oh, Manchurian candidate. Whoops, it's too bad. Yeah. I mean, it's been so normalized now that it's just like, oh, well, you know, I mean, every time you, you turn on corporate media, it's like they're just constantly talking about Mueller and the Russia thing that it's just like you forget how insane that really is, that they've been doing that for two fucking years. Yeah. And it's clearly a coordinated campaign of some kind. I mean, it's it's been hatched in the think tank culture, the corridors of D.C. and has been unleashed, you know, into this much bigger sector uh, which is essentially the mainstream media and this pundit class. And, and yeah, they're, they don't stop. I mean, we'll have to, it'll be interesting to see where it goes now that the Mueller investigation is over um, to see if like anti-Russian hysteria keeps building. I, I don't know where it's going to go from here. I mean, but we have, we have clip after clip of us, you know, years ago saying like, how much worse can it get? It's already so bad. <laughs> the anti-Russian hysteria has gone so bad. I don't know. It, it seems like it can go... I mean, even in August of 2016, we played those clips of Mike Morell saying that we need to kill mm-hmm. Russians in Syria to teach them a lesson. And we're just sitting there thinking, Jesus, this is so scary. Where the fuck can this go from here? I mean, it's almost like they're trying as hard as they can now to make it seem like Putin and Trump are connected somehow. 
and then all Trump's people are working for Putin, like this guy Manafort mm-hmm. um, that got thrown under the bus recently by the Trump campaign. So I, I honestly don't know where, where it's going to go. And here we are. Yeah. And a lot of these people who are saying, you know, they've only been focusing just on Russiagate because they were upset at how much oxygen was kind of removed from Trump and his horrific crimes. That's that's what we've been talking about for the last year, at least because we were so exhausted with the Russia and the incessant Russia coverage from the mainstream media and the alternative media and, you know, the right wing media like default debunking this stuff that we were just curious. Why was there no coverage of of Trump's actual war crimes? Why was there no coverage of Trump's imperialism? Um, And instead, there was just kind of this adoption of the right wing narrative that he was ending the wars, that he was standing up to the deep state. That's, I think, what was actually the biggest negative um, effect of this was that a lot of alternative media got sucked into right wing narratives and caping for Trump. Yeah, actually providing cover for Trump. Yeah, essentially, that's what they ended up doing, even if that wasn't their intention, because they ignored, like you're saying, all these other things and. And the idea that a lot of them even got sucked into that uh, that deep state versus Trump narrative, yeah, it's really it's really shocking how long how much time has passed, and how little coverage from some of those people, you know, Trump's foreign policy has actually gotten. So, right, you know, in a way, you know, this RussiaGate thing really helped shield Trump, right, from not just his Democratic opponents, but also like his leftist. You know, people Absolutely. on the left who should be opposing him. We did the Trump expanding the empire. We tried to debunk that whole Trump is ending wars. Trump is standing up to the deep state um, by just talking about facts and going past the rhetoric and looking at the actual policies and seeing how it actually was the opposite um, of what he's saying. So it was really unfortunate where you saw a lot of like good faith being taken from Trump's tweets and rhetoric. I feel like they should be out there actually being adversarial towards who's in power right now. Um, and it's not the Democrats. So ultimately that's what's real. Elliot Abrams and John Bolton are still in office. Netanyahu is still best buds with Trump. This is all real. This is all really happening. So I've never believed that Trump was a Russian Manchurian candidate, but I have believed for a long time that he's extremely dangerous and needs to be fought against. Even Michael Tracy gets like retweeted by Don Jr. now. Um, and that's, and he doesn't even say anything about it. Like, so it's like, at that point, it's like, come on, dude, like you're getting retweeted by the son of the president of the United States. You're no longer an adversarial journalist. I mean, I, I guess I could have gone out there and said, I was right. I'm vindicated. Look at all of my work for the past five years talking about this, but I don't feel excited. I don't feel good about any of this. I feel actually sick to my stomach about everything about Trump being who he is about all the cover provided for for his atrocities, um, the lack of coverage, like all of it makes me actually physically ill. I actually wish I was wrong. I really do. I wish that something came of this. I wish that Trump could be unseated. I wish that there was something there that could justify all of this waste of fucking energy and time. No, I, I don't I know, underst- man. I understand where you're coming from. I mean, it is, I, mm-hmm. it, it's a weird thing. I mean- I don't think it's a time to celebrate. And also, 
I really don't, I don't agree at all with some of these people saying that the mainstream media has been the most embarrassed it's ever been. No. Absolutely not. They'll just continue on business as normal. I mean, I think. No, and you've already seen their spin. Their spin is the indictments that came out. Yeah, exactly. You know what I I mean? Yeah. And I also think that the media, I mean, if anything, the media hasn't lost credibility or been embarrassed because they have focused so much on Russia. I think it happened even before that. They got so regretful at basically giving Trump billions of dollars of free airtime during the election that they like turned against him and they openly despise him now. That's to me the only thing that they did to lower themselves because now it's just like all they do is just talk about Trump constantly in the wrong ways too. It's, and, and then of course, then they promote things like his Venezuela coup. And, and that doesn't even matter. I mean, all that did was just make Trump's own voters trust you know, institutions like CNN and MSNBC even less, which is really not that big of a deal anyways. So it was almost like they couldn't have given him a better gift to just distract everyone behind something that had no legs for the last two years when he's been dismantling every last vestige of democratic institutions, appointing evangelical, um, apocalyptic, crazy people to all these lifetime federal judge positions across the country. I mean, it's just unbelievable what he has done. The executive orders, the authoritarianism, and and this is what we're left with. People have no idea what he's done because all they know is that he colluded with Russia. Even after the Mueller investigation comes out that there's no collusion, people aren't even going to know. There's no ability to really have an honest discourse anymore about this issue. And I think that the biggest takeaway of all of this, as you have been saying so clearly, is that this entire narrative has led, and you could argue that this was the intent all along, right? With, with the neoconservatives and the neoliberals and just all of the corporate media in general, this unprecedented cooperation between the government, the intelligence communities, and all of these war criminals to purge the internet and to de-rank alternative media that is actually challenging the establishment, that is actually challenging U.S. empire and are actually on the left. So all of this has gotten completely lost by the wayside. And this is all in the name of preventing the quote-unquote sowing of discord, the fomenting of radical discontent. We saw it with the DNI report, but that's pretty much what the effect has been of Russiagate. Absolutely. um, So like, no, there's not going to be some big you know, moment of clarity from the media, like they all basically ended up winning. They won because we got fucked. We got purged online and deranked and all the algorithms changed. When you say they won, you know, there are a lot of like people idiots right now thinking they lost because Trump has been exonerated. But it's like, in reality, that part of the whole equation for them, the anti-Russian hysteria campaign was almost, probably only as important as delegitimizing Obama's presidency of him being like a, a born in another country. It's like they wanted to delegitimize his presidency. They wanted people, even if he was exonerated later on, to always think that he was put in there by Russia. That's still going to stick. But ultimately, what you just said is is the real goal of it. And they won in this capacity. It is now normalized for all these mainstream Silicon Valley companies to soft censor controversial political content and the only thing the thing that gets the most press is when conservative you know neo-nazi light people get banned so then all the conservatives think it's all a partisan thing and then jack from twitter goes on fucking you know joe rogan with tim pool 
and and believes him and accepts this idea that they need to be more fair to conservatives when it's all a bullshit premise and we know already that these forces are all converging to try to soft censor the entire internet. It's not a conservative or liberal thing. Yeah, and in that respect, Trump won that as well because the right-wing media was pretty much unaffected unless, you know, unless you're a neo-Nazi light alt-right person who's like mocking trans people or doxing people online or saying the N-word repeatedly. I mean, you're not going to get censored if you're a right-winger because you're not a fucking threat. Exactly. Yeah, and just here's a here's when we first learned about what the, it seemed like the inevitable goal of this all looking back on it this seems like it was the goal but here's us reacting to the very first article that came out in the Washington Post about prop or not which was arguably one of the very first iterations of this plan that was shown to us so here's you reacting to that story oh i should say this is from uh, december 6 2016 and it's scary also that you have completely distrusted outlets like the New York Times, Washington Post, parroting this fake news list, right, from this anonymous uh, propaganda finder who's all about fucking Russia Russia propaganda. Um, And and it's unfortunate because instead of analyzing this and and going through and countering this in some way, while at the same time acknowledging that some of the sites were fake news sites, like these random fucking blogs that are wrong all the time and have outrageous headlines... That's insane because they're punching down to the people, like I said before, doing the real work, truth dig, counterpunch, amazing journalistic outlets that we should be going to for news. And they're conflating it with all this stuff because it's anti-establishment. <laughs> it's so crazy, the reality that we're living yeah. in now. It's like they, they are incapable of introspection at all. Like they won't accept their own faults for why Hillary lost. They refuse to acknowledge anything that they did wrong. They instead say third parties cost them, Bernie cost them. And now the the distrusted mainstream media, now they're saying, oh, we live in this post-truth era. Why the fuck do you think that is? What the fuck have you guys been doing for the last 20 years to make everyone not believe you, to cultivate this kind of post-truth era? Yeah, I mean, it it is largely their fault. So uh, that was a good rant by you. I mean, because it was sort of the, I feel like you were having the realization right then almost like what this really was all about. Like they're trying to be like, no, we're the truth tellers and all these independent journalists out there are actually spreading fake news. I mean, right, right. It's a re it's a whole realignment, you know? I mean, everything Mm -hmm. is laid out. It's like, this is where it's all going and where it's all culminating towards. If Trump was impeached over this, then maybe you know, we could say that that might have been a primary goal of it. I don't, I, looking back on this, I think Trump was a very small piece of this. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I totally agree with you. Um, I heard someone talk about the post-truth era is pre-fascism. Um, and it just, I just keep thinking of that when I hear the term post-truth because it's just this ability for Trump to manipulate the distrust in mainstream media to his advantage again a giant gift to Trump. Yeah. Um, Everything's been a gift to Trump. But I think that you're right that this wasn't really about impeachment. This was just about poisoning the well to delegitimize alternative media. I mean, they saw how harsh alternative media was being on Hillary and they were Mm -hmm. just pissed. I mean, they they just wanted a reason to censor the internet. Um, And Hillary losing was the perfect reason to do so. They wanted to kind of reassert themselves as like the arbitrators of truth. 
um, when they were responsible for giving us Trump. I mean, just watch Fahrenheit 11.9. Um, he played the media like a fiddle and they just did everything that he wanted them to do. So they couldn't, you know, turn back the hands of time, but they could just punish the people who were tearing them down. Yeah. And so why not just work with the intelligence community and the government and all these neoconservative think tanks to do exactly that? It's amazing. Yeah, and as we saw, I mean, some credit to the people who, you know, spent most of their time debunking Russiagate. They basically got accused for the last year of being Putin agents. And you saw it time and time again. Anytime somebody from the left, you know, would debunk Russiagate or try to, um, who had a prominent following, they would get you know, they would get attacked on Twitter or on social media saying you were working for Putin. And and that and that mentality still persists. So that's a very dangerous mentality. And I don't know where that's that mentality can go now. You know, if that xenophobia or that paranoia where that what outlet that has to go now. It's it's interesting because now that this is sort of wrapped up, will the anti-Russia hysteria keep building in other forms? I think that it will, but I don't know where it's going to build. I feel like the last time we really saw it build, Abby, in a very strange and kind of telltale way was the Skripal's poisoning incident. That was mm -hmm. a very bizarre, very convenient thing that happened for the UK and the US. I thought that that was going to happen, that this would be a new, another push to overthrow Assad. It didn't happen. And then it kind of died down again a little bit after that. But the Mueller investigation has a, a, allowed it, this anti-Russian hysteria to persist this whole time. So I guess that's my question now. What happens now that it's wrapped up? Where does this channel into now? Where does this energy go now? Is it just going to go keep going into trying to soft censor the internet? Or is it going to go in other areas too? geopolitical confrontations like we saw at the end of the Obama administration with Ukraine and Syria? Already, Russia is sending military to Venezuela, apparently. So, I mean, I don't even know if that's true. That could have been a bullshit story that I read. But, I mean, there's things happening there. So, I don't know. I mean, we've been talking for years and years about where this is going to go. Then I still don't know where it's going to go. But it seems like the internet being soft-censored is the main place that it's going and where most of that energy is being poured into right now. Good point. I think that where it's going to go is where it has been going, which is continuous neo-McCarthyism. Um, mm -hmm. Still just alleging that anyone who is talking about things that are divisive in America or covering real news is just a useful idiot for Russia and the Kremlin. That's not going to stop. And so anyone who's parroting things that RT talks about is still going to be called a, a useful idiot for the Kremlin. They're still going to be called Russian agents. And I don't think that's going to stop because you're talking about people like taking accountability and also reflecting on their own actions and words. And we already know that, you know, things are so tribalistic right now and people are just doubling down on how wrong they are. I can't see that moment happening. I can't see people saying, you know what, maybe I, I shouldn't call someone a, a, a Kremlin agent because they're talking about like police killing black people. Um, I don't think that's going to stop. The train has already left. It's like going full speed. Yeah. I'm careening off a fucking cliff. Any, it's just going to be seamless is what I'm trying to say. It's going to just be a seamless continuation of the exact same McCarthyist Cold War 2.0 propaganda being peddled. Yeah. Um, the same kind of fear mongering about Russia because they just can't stop. They've invested too much into this narrative. 
it, it's really, really sad that this is where we're at, but this is where we have been for five years. Yeah. Um, and everything Trump's done should have proved that he wasn't a Manchurian candidate. He's done everything at odds with Putin. All the sanctions on Russia, the Skripal stuff, um, sanctioning them for the Crimea annexation, like before he even got into the, the presidency. Authorizing he the weapons. him for, yeah, the weapons shipments to Ukraine, right? Yeah. He, uh, and, yeah. and that was something interesting that we talked about as far back as, um, geez, I think it was the summer of 2016 on our podcast was that Obama was somehow not willing to send the weapons to Ukraine towards the end of his mm-hmm. presidency. And we were just like, well, anybody who gets in office, Hillary or whoever else it is, will send those weapons. And we were completely right. But we thought it was going to be Hillary that was going to do it. Um, but no, it ended up being Trump, this person who's supposedly a Russian Manchurian candidate, authorized offensive weapons to be sent to the Ukrainian army to fight against Russian separatists. Um, and just, I thought this was a funny little rant you went on. Um, on October 2017, you basically just kind of got fed up with just how this was continuing and like, when when is this going to fucking end? Um, and how obvious it is also, not just that the goal of this is to censor the internet eventually, but it's also to obfuscate and also sort of revitalize our image here that America's good and Russia's bad. It's mm-hmm. meant, meant to make us seem morally superior. Mm-hmm. Here's what you said in October 2017 on the podcast. Yeah, there's an, there is an article the CIA, I guess, anonymously wanted people to know that they're planning a major cyber offensive against Russia. <laughs> yeah, that was just, I just saw the tweet. It was like from a, about an hour That's ago. That's incredible. And as we know, cyber warfare is perpetrated the most by the U.S., also regime change and also usurping foreign governments and undermining the democratic processes of every country in the world. That doesn't cowtail to its interests. So it is quite interesting that... We have the audacity and the gall to stand up there and say, Russia, 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 Russia. It's like, dude, look in the fucking mirror. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's just so funny, too, because it's like the things that are coming out are all tr- they're, It's like they're just embarrassments for Hillary Clinton, who's not even in office in government. So it's right. like for the U.S. to respond to something like that, even if it were true, let's say in theory, with a cyber attack on Russia is fucking it's absurd. I had forgotten actually that 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 was announced, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I think we just got exhausted by it Mm -hmm. pretty much in 2008. I think we covered it very little. Uh, We covered incidents involving Russia, like the Skripals and different things like Mm -hmm. that and Syria, of course, and the geopolitical movements, but we hardly covered Russiagate. Frankly, we were, we already felt like we were covering Russiagate since 2014 before it was called right. that so it's kind of like you know at a certain point we we had other more important things to talk about but we continue to talk about what the goals of what Russiagate seemed to be we just paid less attention to trump's own predicament in that because i honestly couldn't give two shits if manafort and flynn are in jail or any of those motherfuckers fuck those people right. especially flynn he wrote a he co-wrote a book with michael ledeen I mean, it's hilarious to me how many people still tell me to this day he was some kind of anti-deep state guy that the deep state needed to remove. He wrote, co-wrote a book with Michael Ledeen talking about how to destroy Islam. I still have people saying Trump is, has nothing to do with the Venezuela coup. Uh, it's just astounding mental gymnastics 
and blinders on to defend this man um, because they just desperately want to believe in this sort of like coup narrative that he's somehow doing something good. I, I, I find it very, very amazing that two years in and all of the crazy criminal shit that he's done and people are still just like, but what about Obama? It's like, what a fucking about Obama? I was just going to say that it's just crazy that this giant conspiracy theory of Russiagate will not and does not discredit anyone who put it out there. None of the publications that published the Steele dossier, none of the people who are talking about the Russian collusion thing, the fact that he met with all these Russian intelligence officials, none of these people will be held accountable. There will be no accountability. But for people like you and me who dare to question official narratives like 9-11, we are tarnished forever. And not only the mainstream journalistic establishment circles, but also alternative media um, as lunatic truthers, conspiracy theorists. I just find that interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So when it's conspiracies that critique power and the power structures and also talk about the actual deep state apparatus that's continuous, that we understand is not a partisan thing. Um, we're lunatics, right? Who aren't to be taken seriously, but just all of these people will continue to be the purveyors of, of great truths Yeah, um, that will continue yeah. to shape our society and be taken seriously until they die and then be heralded after they die as, as being these important figures. Yeah. Um, and it's just quite a sad commentary on society. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it'll continue to be that way. Um, especially now that they're trying to wage war essentially on any alter form of alternative media that debunks their narratives that they're trying to put out. And just one other interesting fact I wanted to throw out there. Um, I see a lot of people now saying now that the Mueller investigation is over, let's open up an investigation on Obama for trying to, you know, accuse Trump of, of working with the Russian government for opening up this FBI probe for surveilling parts of his campaign. I mean, in reality, it's very interesting, actually, if you look at all of Obama's statements about the hacking, about why he thinks the the election happened the way it did, he has not said anything explicitly saying that he thinks the Russians threw the election and that the Russian hack was even done by, or that the DNC hack was even done by Russia. It's actually very interesting that almost everybody from his cabinet has come out very strong, echoing the DNC line about the Russian hack, echoing a lot of the hyperbole claims about Trump being in bed with Russia. And Obama has actually not said anything. And even when asked about it by David Letterman on an interview after he left the presidency, Dave Letterman gave him a softball. Say so like he, he set it up for him. He's like, so how bad is this situation now that Russia basically like influenced the election? And Obama basically says that's not concerning to him at all. He's more concerned about Fox News. <laughs> like in this post-presidential <laughs> interview. And I, thought, I just thought that was just so interesting because it was like the first time I've seen him being given an opportunity to speak on this whole Russia hysteria about the, the election being thrown. And he didn't play into it at all. So that's an interesting thing. And I think that's a, that's a part of the story that needs to be explored is why did Obama not go along with this narrative, at least publicly? And why did everybody else from his cabinet push it super hard, including Eric Holder, including even Ben Rhodes, who was very close with Obama, one of the close, his closest allies in the administration. So that needs to be explored as well. And also, well, there's a lot of real information out there that creates interesting narratives about why Hillary lost that have nothing to do with Russia, absolutely nothing to do with it. 
that's what any political historians need to be looking at now. Now that this is all over, it's like, what? why did Hillary really lose? There's a lot of interesting things to really explore there. I was just going to say that it's really fascinating looking back at this entire spectacle of bread and circuses. And what did we end up with? We ended up with a media, um, you know, working hand in glove with, with these sectors of the establishment trying to unseat Trump, foment this hysterical notion that he's a Russian agent and using the Russian collusion narrative to censor the internet and purge alternative voices and basically reassert their authority. So even though they got this wrong and manufactured a false narrative, right, based on a fake premise, um, they themselves turned out to be the winners. No, they're not going to be, you know, seen as a joke. No, they're not going to have to do some, you know, big, big, um, like apology fest. No, they're, they actually have made themselves more authoritative on these issues because again, all these like official things now, like on Wikipedia or Encyclopedia Britannica are now correcting the record for you. This is all an outgrowth of the Russiagate thing. It's just amazing to me that even though it's like the mainstream media's fault for propagating this hysterical myth, they still came out on top. They use it to their advantage to then censor the people who are getting it right. And I hope that now we can see some focus on Trump's atrocities and mass murder going on around the world. I would really like to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, just more back, you know, uh, journalism about the overall picture, how the military industrial right. complex's relationship with Trump and all this other stuff, you know, the amount of ink spent on Russiagate is, it just overshadowed almost all of it. So really need to get back to the real shit. But we'll we'll keep doing what we've been doing for the last five years, Robbie, which is poking a hole into these narratives. You're coming out with another installment of a very heavy agenda, hopefully in this next year. Um, and we're just going to keep putting out this radio show like we have been since 2010, cutting through the partisanship, never taking sides, um, holding everyone's feet to the fire, holding power to account, because that's what journalism is. Yeah. And the people who are in power right now are fucking war criminals exactly. and we need to be calling them out. Um, and I don't care about what fans we lose along the way. Like we have a moral compass that's very strongly guiding this podcast and guiding all of the work that we do. And that's never going to be faltered and it's never going to be diminished. Well said. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of what we've done for the last few years on this podcast we were covering this issue, this larger issue, a, a lot longer um, than mostly everybody else was. There's a, only really a handful of people really pushing against this Russia stuff from the very beginning. That's Mark Ames, you know, Stephen Cohen, Katrina Vanderhoevel, Yasha Levine, Robert Perry, and really like us. Like I didn't notice very many other you know people with platforms talking about this. So I'm glad that we were there covering it. And getting that information out so people can understand the larger context of what's happening. And we'll just continue to try to provide that context. You know, if this Russia hysteria just keeps go building and building after the Mueller investigation wrapped. Yeah, I mean, a very heavy agenda was pretty much the definitive chronicling of the Russia hysteria just building and building. And you kind of captured that momentum from the get-go. And you were, I think, probably the first person to actually put that all together. Well, yeah, thanks for thanks for saying that. Yeah, I mean, I 
I, I still think it holds up. And I think everybody who jumped into this, you know, debate, like after 2016 could probably get a lot out of watching it to understand mm-hmm. the larger context behind it. Um, Cause it's larger context that, you know, I was still learning at the time. I mean, people like Mark Ames, I, you know, were really educating me on a lot of like, I didn't even know who Bill Browder was, you know, back when I interviewed right. him in 2016 and he's going off on, you know, how Bill Browder was collaborating with all these neocons and, and now all that stuff makes sense to me. And it's, I think all that stuff is really important knowledge. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mark Ames was a really instructive um, teacher on this whole thing. And people can go back and, and watch the Empire Files episode with Mark Ames and Stephen Cohen from three years ago, where we were talking about this and what it's going to turn into. So here we are. Um, and hopefully we can start to cover Trump in a, in a broader way. And hopefully we can start to build up an actual anti-war movement because we need a movement to end the U.S. empire and close all of the 800 bases, remove special operations from 75% of the world's nations, and stop the bloody coups, assassinations, and usurping of all the democracies um, that don't fall under the boot of U.S. hegemony. So that's the resistance that needs to be uh, galvanized here, and that's, that's the movement that needs to be in the streets and I just dread the next election because, again, I, I have a really bad feeling. And, and I'm so perplexed at, like, all of these, quote-unquote, Bernie surrogates who are now in the race. And I just don't, I just don't know where it's going to go. I'm really worried. Yeah. And I'm also really worried if Bernie, again, you know, if, if he's the guy at the top of the, the heap. Because, I mean, I was just going back to some of these clips, uh, pulling clips, us talking about Cold War 2.0. I mean, we were just horrified and shocked at how bad Bernie was when he actually got into the debates and started, you know, talking about foreign policy. We were just blown away by how poor of a job he was doing just against Hillary, not even talking about any of the sabotage taking place against him. I mean, we were just like, what is going on here? Like, as he just, as he just, you know, throwing in the towel on the first debate, we were confused. So I'm really, I, I'm not holding out much hope at all, at all. My God. Yeah. Good God. Well, yeah, I mean... Sorry to end it on a negative note. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm wondering if there's like an... uh, I mean, the good note to end this on is that, you know, everyone is vindicated, but I don't really know where you can go with that because we're living in such a bizarre uh, Orwellian dystopian reality that like people are not going to even like accept that they were wrong. Exactly. So I don't know where you go with that information. I don't know how you can use that information, but other than just to kind of like know that you know, you didn't fall prey to this absurd propaganda fest. Like sometimes I just wish that I did believe all this shit. I wish that I really did buy into the U S government and the empire. And I wish that I wasn't like burdened with this knowledge every day. Cause it's a lot more difficult, but that's the world that we're living in. And that's why there's people, um, that, you know, listen to this show and that are doing their own really excellent work to, kind of weed out the nonsense and, and provide critical analysis and provide tools for media literacy. And that's pretty much all we have. And we just need to keep boosting that up and lifting each other up and inspiring each other to keep, keep going mm-hmm. because it is kind of a dark time. But again, like no savior 2020, not to end it. You know, it's, it's, it's sad to end it on like a pessimistic tone, but we never thought there was going to be a savior in 2020. 
Um, it doesn't matter who the president is. It's just depressing to think that Trump actually could win again, I guess. Who are they going to blame this time, Robbie? Uh, maybe Russia again. I don't know. <laughs> or Iran. You know, if Trump loses, I, I don't know, man. I, it's Yeah. Who the fuck knows? But thanks well, for thank listening. You for, thanks for listening, everyone. Donate to Media Roots Radio on Patreon. We have free sticker packs now for anyone who donates $50 an episode. Check it out. We have really awesome stickers that are made, and I'll throw in um, some extra stuff. Please become a patron for our show. Patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot.